Like Taylor said, uh, my name is Adam Iglesias. I'm one of the pastors here. Not the usual uh, teaching pastor. Um, Josh is away on the uh, college beach trip, so I'll be filling in for him tonight. Um, like Taylor said, uh, I will be uh, in Matthew 20 tonight. So if you want to turn there, Matthew 20, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. Um, I think I said this last time I preached, but uh, uh, I use a number of re- resources in preparation, so if I say something that sounds really brilliant, it probably didn't originate in my head. Um, so anywhere from uh, commentaries, a lot of stuff from Kevin DeYoung, and um, also uh, a few books that I'll reference here in a little bit. Um, but tonight, uh, I'm going to be talking about fairness, comparison, and God's goodness. Uh, I'm a middle child, for those of you who don't know me, and I know it comes as a shock. Uh, they say that middle children love um, attention. Well, I don't know where they get that from. Uh, but uh, apparently a trait that middle children have is comparing a lot. And uh, that's something that I can definitely identify to. Um, so if y'all are hoping for me to come up here and preach something that I'm really good at, eh, the Lord's brought me a long way, I think, and he's still continuing to refine me. Um, so, uh, again... Saying it's not fair was always a part of my vocabulary. I'm sure you can ask my parents. Uh, my mom, uh, happy Mother's Day. Um, my mom, uh, I feel like I've scarred my mom, if I'm being honest. Uh, and I'll, give you, I'll tell you why as far as the fairness comparison thing. Uh, every Christmas, even to this day, my mom keeps track to the dollar on how much she spends on each of us to make sure that uh, we all get about the same. And I believe that it is my fault. Somewhere along the path, I think, during Christmases, I would uh, constantly kind of evaluate and assess what everybody's getting, and I would base how good my Christmas was as a kid. I left that like two years ago. Uh, but, uh, so I apologize, Mom. Um, but Kevin DeYoung, he talks about living life... Um, looking through goggles of fairness uh, or look, living life through glasses of grace. Kind of what, what lens are we looking through life with? Um, if we live a life focused on fairness and comparison, we will always feel like we're in last place. Um, but if we live a life looking through the glasses of grace that everything given to us is because of our gracious Lord, we will always feel like we are first, even though we might not deserve that. And so that's what I want to uh, talk about today. So if y'all want to look at Matthew 20, Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 16. Uh, This is Jesus uh, talking right here. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, and to them he said, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, Go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came... They thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. 
And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, "These last workers only worked. These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat." But he replied to them, "Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last workers as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity?" So the last will be first, and the first last. Uh, so before I get into the, the meaning of the parable, I want to talk about the cultural context and a little bit of background information. So um, landowners, it was a very common thing for them to go into the marketplace when they needed extra help, to go into the marketplace and hire, hire workers for the day, hire day laborers. Uh, as far as day laborers go, um, life was a very difficult thing for a day laborer uh, back then. Uh, unemployment and poverty was uh, very, uh, it, it was very popular, or however you say that. It, it, uh, there was a lot of poverty and a lot of unemployment back then. Uh, and most commentaries said that, unfortunately, uh, slaves and servants had a better quality of life because their owners had financial interest in the, into, giving them, into giving them adequate care. As opposed to a day laborer, a lot of times they were hired for a day, used for their services, and then off they went. And so a lot of times they were used and they were abused for their efforts. Um, so they, uh, they didn't require the same care and they were often taken advantage of. As far as a work day goes, they had long work days, 12-hour work days from pretty much sun up to sundown. And the, uh, the conditions were pretty brutal under, uh, under the Palestinian sun. We can identify here in South Louisiana, if you've ever worked outside in August, 100-degree uh, days, 100% humidity. So the working conditions were pretty brutal, which is obviously a big part of the reason why the first workers complained. Um, going back to the poverty, uh, to poverty, uh, the Torah required uh, all day laborers to be paid at the end of each day at sunset, just to provide for their basic needs for survival. Um, so that that wasn't in there for an accident. That uh, that they were very, the Torah was very serious about um, about uh, the the laborers getting paid at the end of the day, just so they could make it to the next day. Them and their families could make it to the next day. Uh, a denarius, that's an average daily wage. If you look at it in today's context, it might be a little bit better than a minimum wage. So we're not talking about a huge sum of money. Uh, and as far as symbolism goes, uh, the owner uh, represents God and the workers rep- represent, represents the Israelites or, mean, or members of the kingdom of God. And so I want to give, give a little background and a little bit of cultural context before we get into the meaning of the parable. So let's get into that now, the meaning. All right, so... Um, Parables are designed to get us to think and to act. Uh, a lot of times people look at parables can be confusing, and it's often why they debated the meaning behind it. But if we go back to the big picture, that they're designed to get us to think, think how Jesus th- thought, and to act in, in the way that's, uh, that's aligned with God and his, uh, and his, and his character. Um, they're not necessarily meant to uh, teach business principles and business ethics uh, specific to this one. Uh, if that were the case, there might be some violation of labor laws. If you tried to apply that to nowadays, it uh, might not be the best way to run a successful business. But nonetheless, we can still draw out. Um, we, we, we want to see how Jesus wants us to think instead of necessarily applying business ethics and business principles. Uh, so let's... Uh, so, like I said earlier, these are taught, uh, parables are taught to get us to think like Jesus. And uh, it, it's, it, parables are pretty unique in that whenever, Jesus was brilliant, obviously, uh, and that typically whenever a parable is told, we, we initially side with the wrong side. You think about this parable or the, uh, uh, the prodigal son. Uh, I mean, I know the first time I heard those parables, I'm like, I get it. 
If I was the older brother, I'd be, I'd be pretty mad if my younger brother went and squandered all my dad's possessions and money and then came back and my dad threw a party with him. Boy, that middle child would kick, out, kick, kick in big like, are you kidding me? I was faithful to you. So parables are, are, are brilliant in that they, they usually have us initially siding with the wrong people. And that's why I think it, Jesus wants us to say, think how I think. Um, and so... Uh, a few funny, uh, and so I, I think we can all identify with with some of these parables uh, and and things not being fair. Uh, we're, we're, we live in South Louisiana, and potlucks are a big deal to us. Um, if you've ever been a part of a community a community group potluck, or just a group of friends saying, "Hey, look, everybody, bring some food, uh, and we'll get together and we'll eat." Well, I know anytime one of those happens, there's usually one person that doesn't bring anything, and they're usually the most hungry. And I'm, I'm going to be that guy in the back like, man, that dude didn't bring anything. And he has eaten a lot of food. That ain't fair. Uh, I, whenever I was in college, uh, a, a, a group of us close friends, we always went to Toledo Bend. It probably once, twice, sometimes three times a year if we were lucky. And uh, it was always such a big deal whenever it came to how much money everybody was pitching in and what we were buying um, to, to feed everybody to the point to where there would be arguments. Uh, one guy almost had a breakdown in a bread aisle, uh, and that's complete truth. <laughs> Ask Brad Bowen, he called him out on it. Uh, <laughs> to where it was such a big deal because nobody wanted to get messed over. We all wanted to pay the same, and we all wanted to eat the same amount. It was just such a point of contention for all of us. It was, it was pretty funny. So we can identify with it. And uh, so, like most, so getting back to the parable, like most parables, the meaning of it is debated. Uh, and the... A key to finding what the meaning of the parable is, is to look at the audience. And most commentaries say it's the audience was one or two groups. Um, the first uh, set of group that some of the commentaries believe that uh, the, the audience is, is Christ's opponents, the Pharisees. If that were the case, it would seem that this parable may be focused on the acceptance of the tax collectors and those marginalized, uh, which would be completely accurate of the character of the Lord. Um, look at verse 6 again. So verse 6, And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? Uh, and they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, Go into the vineyard too. And so again, that would be completely, uh, completely accurate with the principle and the character of the Lord and that these were people that probably nobody wanted, that people uh, didn't, didn't go and hire, and so the last of the last. And so the landowner said, look, I want to be gracious to you. I'll give you work. And so while that's completely true, uh, I believe that the, the, the uh, audience of this parable was Jesus' disciples. And the reason I say that is if you go back to the previous chapter, um, in chapter 19, Jesus just told them the story about the rich young ruler. Um, and their, the disciples' minds were blown because back then they, they automatically thought that if you were wealthy, if you were rich, then you were automatically deemed blessed by God. And so Jesus told them that story, and they were just, their mind was blown. And looking at verse 27, um, Peter says this. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And so... If that's the, based off of that, based off of that chapter, and then what the majority of chapter twenty focuses on, I believe that the that this this parable is focusing on attitude of fairness and envy and comparison, and calculate reward. And so, and whenever I talk about reward, I'm not reward isn't necessarily a bad thing, a, a, a bad motivation. Uh, it's a way to talk about what pleases God and assures us that following Christ is not for nothing. 
But here it seems like the promise of reward started to create status and ranking and envy among the disciples. And so that's what Jesus was addressing. Uh, so that's, that's, a little, that's what I believe that the meaning of the parable is. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about comparison, fairness, and envy. Let's go back to verses 8 through 12. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Uh, Looking at that, again, I, I... Maybe I'm speaking, maybe I'm generalizing this too much, but I can identify with that frustration, that grumble. Um, Because I think it's safe to say that we as humans, we regularly regularly compare ourselves to others, constantly trying to assess fairness and levels of accomplishment, levels of accomplishment, which is exactly what the disciples were doing. If you look at the only reason that the first hired grumbled in the first place is because they, they, they saw what the last hired got paid. If they didn't see what the last hired got paid, it would have just been what they agreed to. They'd been fine with it, and they would have went on their way. Um, but I, you put me in that situation. If I was a part of the work, the first group, man, I would have been like, "All right, they got paid a denarius for one hour. One times twelve. I'm about to get paid twelve denarii. Is that it? Denariuses? The, anyway, uh, I, I just started just adding it up. And I'm about to get hooked up. And then, so I, I, I get it. Uh, I've got, so I've got two kids. I'm about to have third any time now. Lucy, hold off until I'm finished. Uh, I've got a, uh, Daniel, he's almost five, and Alice, she's two and a half. Um, and you want to know, know a way to get Daniel really mad right after you've given him something? I'll use Skittles for an example. So we give our kids Skittles for treats a lot of times after they eat. Uh, and they think anywhere between four and six Skittles is awesome. So if you ever like, are babysitting or having our kids over, don't give them more than that. Don't give them a full bag of Skittles because they're going to they're gonna know that we've been <laughs> being a little stingy. Um, but you want to know a way to make Daniel mad? You go give Daniel five Skittles. He'll be pumped. He'll be jacked. Then you go give Allie six, and he will lose his mind. He will lose it. I'm telling you, we've seen it happen before. One of the greatest forms of punishment that we can do for our kids, for Daniel specifically, is, uh, is not necessarily spankings or timeouts. It's letting Allie go to bed later than him. Because typically our routine is we put Allie to bed, and about five to ten minutes later, Daniel goes to bed. One time we were like, all right, Daniel, you, you, know, you had a bad day. We're going to put you to bed first. He lost it. And uh, so... Comparison. So a lot of times we, we, we compare. We really do. So what I want to do is talk about ways that we typically compare nowadays. Now, whenever I go through this list, I don't want you to hear me condemning the desire behind some of these things. Uh, I'm addressing comparison, the part that causes us to root against each other while sizing up God's fairness. So I want to make that point very clear that I'm not condemning the desire to some of these things. So I'll go ahead and start off personally on things that I compare a lot. So I'm, uh, I'm in sales. I've been in sales since I got out of college. And man, I am the worst when it comes to comparing at my job. I look around and like we have monthly sales meetings and I'm always, you know, I've gotten better, but I'm still working through this. So I'm just being honest. Uh, but looking at other people's activity, all right, how many meetings did they have last quarter? All right, how much business did they close? Well, I had three times as much, but I closed a third of the business. Lord, that's not fair. Like, what, what's the deal? Um, so work has always been that part of me that creeps up, and it causes me to, 
sometimes consciously, but mostly subconsciously, root against my coworkers and say, man, man, he just closed that sale. That thing fell in his lap. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's not a healthy place to be. So, and, so I think a number of us compare whenever it comes to work. It might not be specific to sales, but it might be different job positions, different promotions, and that it causes us a lot of times to root against our, our, our loved ones, um, or even our enemies. Uh, so what else? Facebook. This isn't a joke, so don't, like, it, it should be called compare book. That's not a joke, so don't think I'm trying to go for a joke. Thank you for the no laughs. Uh, but, I mean, I'm telling you, you flip through, and a lot of times, like, oh, man, I, their life looks better than mine. Oh, man, I'm glad that my, that's my, not my life. And we're just constantly comparing on social media. I know we beat up on social media a lot. There's some good things with show, so, so, social media. Um, but, man, we look at homes, we look at cars, we look at possessions, and it's constantly comparing, constantly assessing the Lord's fairness in other people's lives. Uh, school. Uh, I know whenever I was in school, and maybe some people can uh, attest to this, but... Uh, natural learners versus people that have to study. Man, I studied all night long. I got a B minus. This dude didn't do anything, and he got an A minus. Like, what? That's not fair. Uh, so school, grades, uh, different um, concentrations that you go into in school, we assess com- uh, fairness in comparison. Uh, marriages, that's a big one. Um, man, I wish my spouse did this. Did this. Man, that spouse is, does this for a lot of time. That's not fair. Why doesn't my spouse do that for me? Um, or just marriage, marriage in general. Um, we compare single, people that are single to married. Like, man, if I could just get married, this would happen. Or, and vice versa. If, man, I remember my life, I think my life would be better if I were single again. And, and so we're constantly, constantly comparing um, with our marriages. Kids, uh, man, sometimes I, sometimes I get so convicted with my, with my children, the pressure that I put on, on comparing with other people's kids, like developmentally, so like reading, like, Come on, Daniel. Like, where are you at? Like, other kids are reading. You're four and a half. Uh, reading is like just developmental skills, like, you know, sports, um, uh, you know, just any behavioral patterns. Like, man, that kid seems to have it together. God, why, can't, why is my kid wired this way? Why has my kid had these tendencies? That's not fair. Um, so we're, we're constantly putting pressure on our kids and, and comparing kids. Uh, and again, kind of. We, we compare our lives with those people that have kids. And I'm saying we to generalize everything, so I know that kind of sounds weird at times. Um, but a lot of times we, if, if we don't have kids, we look at other people's lives that do have kids and say, Lord, that's not fair. They seem to be getting all the blessings. Why not me? Lord, you're not, you're not being fair. And vice versa. With some of us that have kids, man, I remember life before kids. I, I, I wanted to do this. Or I, I can't do this anymore. And so we compare. And so... I just went through a long list, um, and I think this wouldn't, this wouldn't be a good way to live life, but I think if sometimes we were to wear blinders and not see the blessings in other people's lives, we would be able to recognize so much more the, the blessings in our own life. Now, again, that, that's, not, that, that's, that's not the point of the sermon, because I, I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit and us seeking the Lord, we can be very much uh, blessed by the blessings in other people's lives. But going back to the parable, the only reason they grumbled was because they saw the wage of the first workers, I mean, the last hired. Um, so going back to the, to the parable, they saw what the, the last were paid, and they grumbled. So the, then the, land, the landowner asked three questions. I'm going to go through these three. Uh, the first question, look at verse 13. But he, replied to one of, but he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So he's saying, the lander's saying, look, did we not agree to this? 
I'm being fair. I'm being just because this is exactly what we agree to. The Bible is very serious about landowners uh, giving, exact, giving what, what they promised to the day laborers. Uh, it would be true injustice if, if the landowner didn't get what they agreed upon, which happened a lot. That would be injustice. That would be not being quote-unquote fair. But the landowner gave exactly what he promised. And God always delivers on his promises. Always. What are some of those promises? I just wrote down a few. He gives wisdom to those who ask. That for those who love God, all things work together for good. That he draws near to us as we draw near to him. Near to him. That he will take care of all of our needs. God delivers on all of his promises, bottom line. Uh, I know sometimes in life, whenever we're going through, we've got these desires and we've got these things that we want that sometimes we may or may not confuse for promises, and that's not, a condom, that's not from condemnation. We, just, we need to go back to that basic principle that God always, always delivers on his promises. So did we not agree was the first question. The second question, look at verse, the first part of verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? In other words, do I not have the right to do with my, my, the right to do with my money? Um, this, is, this, this point's kind of a blunt point, and so I hope it's taken the right way, but God isn't indebted to anybody. That everything that God gives us is out of the overflow of his goodness. And it's an unhealthy place to be when we think that God starts to owe us things. And I've been there. I've been there a lot of times where I'm looking around like, God, what is going on? That's not fair. I, I, I feel like I've been checking all these boxes off. I feel like I've been doing things the right way, the right way. Where, where are my blessings? I'm throwing up air quotes for the podcast. Where, where are those? Um, but that's the bottom line. Are we living our, la- our lives seeing through those glasses of grace that everything's given, us, given to us is truly a gift? And that's tough, guys. I'm not up here saying it's easy. Life kicks us in the mouth sometimes. Life gets difficult. But I think it's important to realize even in those toughest of days, the Lord is still blessing us. He's still pouring over our grace for us, uh, pouring over his grace on us through community, through new relationships, through us feeling his presence draw near. We know that the Lord's presence is always near, but there are those times in life where we feel it draw even closer. And so that's question number two, is do I not have a right that God isn't indebted to anyone? Everything is truly out of an abundance of his grace. So question number three, look at the second part of verse uh, 15. So I'll I'll go ahead and read all of verse 15. Am I not allowed to do with what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? He's saying, let's get down to the issue. You're frustrated with my generosity. Do we, do we live life marveling at the Lord's goodness in our lives and others' lives? Or are we constantly com- comparing and grumbling about his goodness? Uh, going back to the denarius and poverty, um, again, a, a denarius was a, a basic day's wage, and poverty was, was widespread. And so if the owner would have paid that, the, the, last, um, the last hired, one-twelfth of a denarius. The reality is, they were so, they're, chances are they were so poor that they wouldn't have been able to provide for their family. They wouldn't have been able to go back and take care of those basic needs that day to take care of, you know, if they had wife or kids at home, to take care of them. And so the owner was seeing the big picture, that he wanted to provide for them and, do, and, and extend mercy and extend grace. And I think if the first hired would have been thinking big picture, they probably wouldn't have had that, that big of a problem with it. If they would have somehow known those last workers' wives and kids or husbands and kids, that they would have probably had less of a problem with it because they were thinking big picture. They, they would have been living life through those lenses of grace. And so uh, true justice, 
God's justice seeks mercy and ways to express it. So just as no one should begrudge a good man who goes beyond justice and gives to the poor, so no one should begrudge God's goodness and mercy. So guys, kind of the bottom line, we need to stop trying to figure out if God's doing too much in other people's lives. Uh, that's, that, that, uh, we need to stop keeping score, and I'm preaching myself on that one. Uh, I'm typically a scorekeeper. Um, by God's grace, I've, I've done okay in marriage, right? Mm, right? Mm. Uh, but that was something, I'll be honest, that was something I was very worried about going into marriage, about keeping score. Uh, uh, but we need to stop trying to figure out if God's doing too much in other people's lives. Uh, I don't think we want God in the fairness business. I think we can all agree that, that we, God is a just God. He's a gracious God. Uh, this is a good quote from one of the commentaries I read. I'm going to read it twice. It says, When we emotionally trip over this foundational concept of the Christian message, that we were sinners saved by grace, we stumble not over God's injustice, although it seems like it, but rather his generosity. Read it one more time. When we emotionally trip over this foundational concept of the Christian message, sinners saved by grace, we stumble not over God's injustice, although it seems like it, but rather his generosity. Justice in God's kingdom, it requires positive action, seeking good, and seeking good for all people. It asks us that we give up envy, comparison, and calculation of a reward, but rather imitate God's goodness. Um, so I think that's something, uh, a challenge that we have is put on those glasses of grace. Uh, when something good happens to coworkers or friends, rejoice in it and seeing that they are image bearers, that God, is, uh, we don't know what's going on in a lot of people's lives. And so they are, that is a form of God taking care of them. Um, so, going back to what I talked about at the beginning, let God be God and let God be good and let's root for each other and for the well-being of one another. Let, uh, going back to what I said about parables, about how they get us to think and act, let's think and act how Jesus wants to, that wow, when it comes to God's goodness, God's generosity transcends all concept of human fairness, and that's comforting. Um, so, on the response time, uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different. And I'm going to talk about two ways that I don't want you to respond to this message. Uh, I think sometimes in hearing, hearing certain things, uh, we might hear them the wrong way. And that's something that I don't want us to do leaving here today. So there's two things I'm going to talk about that I don't want you to hear. The first thing that I don't want you to hear is that you shouldn't cry out or express disappointment and frustration to God. Suck it up. He's good. Get over it. I think a lot of times people can take it that way. Like, all right, well... I won't grumble. Like, God's good. I'll just deal with whatever I got going on. I'll just push it down and not deal with it. And I, I, that's, that's not what this parable is saying. There's a big difference between grumbling and lamenting and crying out to God. Uh, I looked at the definition of grumbling. It's to complain or protest about something in a bad-tempered but typically muted way. And so I read that. There's almost this prideful sense to grumbling. It's almost like gossipy, kind of under-the-breath grumbling. There's something about that grumbling that's very different from crying out and being completely honest with the Lord. Uh, just as Jesus walked this earth, he experienced a ton of trouble, a ton, a, a ton of trouble frequently. And he knew we would too, and he knew we would often. Uh, anything from trivial tr- to traumatic, uh, he knew that we would deal with troubling things. And so God gives us this amazing gift, and it's the gift of the Psalms of Lament. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 142. Just listen. You don't have to turn to it. I'm going to read the first two verses of Psalm 142. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. So we see David quite often cries out and laments to the Lord. 
He's frustrated a lot of times. And I think we can model our frustrations, model our tough times that we go through life after David, saying, Lord, this is what's going on. This is, this is horrible. This is miserable. This is what's going on. But I know this to be true about you. And I'll venture to say sometimes he didn't emotionally connect with those words that this is what I believe to be true. But he knew it was true. And so I think that's a great, great gift that we have as Psalms of the Mint. Because Psalms, Psalms are prayers and hymns that teach us how to express ourselves to God in worship. And, I'm a, and so, uh, oh, a little, another fun little tidbit. A third of the Psalms are Psalms of the, are Psalms of the Mint. A third of them. A third of them are David crying out and lamenting to the Lord. And so I'm, I've got, I'm going to list off just a few of them uh, if you're dealing with any of these. Psalm 137 is a psalm of sorrow. Psalm 140 is a psalm of anger. Psalm 85, longing. Psalm 102, confusion. Psalm 74, disappointment. Psalm 88, depression. So guys, as I'm talking about comparison and assessing the last thing I want you to do is walk away here and say, I can't be honest with the Lord. I can't cry out to the Lord in my times of, of trouble. So that's the first. The second way I don't want us to respond is that you should feel, feel guilty about wanting some of those things that I listed earlier. Uh, the, the list of comparison that I went through is that, again, like I said with the first point, is the answer isn't just to push all of it down and to feel guilty about desiring some of those things. I believe that we may have overcorrected on the subject of desire in some areas, and I'm saying that as a generalization. Some of us might be in a great spot with that. Uh, and a lot of correction is necessary. Uh, we hear a lot, especially on TV and the news, about the prosperity gospel, name it and claim it, all those types of preaching that have been very devastating. And so we, we see those things, and we want to fight against that. So I, I believe sometimes on desire we, we've overcorrected to where any that we desire that we have, it's, it's got to be self-centered, and it's got to be a bad thing. And so if I want it, that automatically means God doesn't want it. And I don't believe that's the case. Uh, what about those things that are good and that the Lord continues to want us to bring to him? Uh, there's a, a quote that my brother sent me a while back in the book, uh, Dreaming with God. Pastor Bill Johnson says this, One of the most natural parts of being created in the image of God is the ability to dream. It's a God-given gift. Yet many believers in their attempts to please God kill the very capacity he gave them. They reason, to really please God, I must get rid of everything that has to do itself. It sounds spiritual to many, but it's more Buddhist than Christian. And so I think we do, we, we do a good job on fighting, on, on talking about the flesh. And it's a serious thing, and we need to continue to fight those, those selfish ur- urges of ours. But what about as we're pursuing the Lord? What about those times where we're spending time with Him, and those desires are there? Uh, I'm going to list, list off a few uh, a few Bible verses on, on desire that I want to talk about. Proverbs thirteen twelve, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Psalm 34, I'm sorry, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I like what the ESV study Bible, the, the commentary says about this right here. Because this is one that people use to abuse all the time and use it for a self-centered lifestyle. But again, let's not overcorrect. The ESV study Bible says, God will give you the desires of your heart. It is safe to say this to those who embrace the advice of this psalm, because as they delight themselves in the Lord, their heart will desire the right things. So I think it's important to pay attention to those desires when you're enjoying the presence of the Lord. And then Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Haley, I think uh, I gave that one to you. Let me turn to it real quick. And you don't have to turn to it. You can just look at it on the screen. So Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
Or which one of you, if his son asked for him, him for bread, will give him a stone? Or ask for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is saying that even bad dads give good things to their children. And God's not a bad dad. He's the absolute best dad. And so Jesus wants us to be hopeful when we pray. He doesn't want us to be skeptical. I think it's important to, to note in this in these verses, is that God, I mean, dads give good things to their children, not necessarily everything that they ask. The, the, the verses don't say, every time they ask for bread, I give them bread. Every time they ask for a fish, I give them fish. You know, going back to my experience as a father, if Daniel wanted Skittles three times a meal, it wouldn't be good for him. And so, I, I'm, Josh preached on this a couple months ago about, about asking, and I've tried to take a different approach as a parent as my kids ask and not get too frustrated when they ask for things constantly because I think it's a, a very unique thing, and we want to, to teach kids to do that with the Lord. Uh, but if he continues to ask me for Skittles, it might be, no, Daniel, I'm going to give you something better than Skittles. I'm going to give you cottage cheese, <laughs> which he loves cottage cheese, so he'd be jacked about that. Um, but... The point is this, is that no prayer is ignored. No prayer is ignored. That God always gives us what we ask for or better. And better doesn't always mean easier. You know, Daniel would like the Skittles. He would like to not have to eat vegetables. And, but his, his knowledge is limited, very limited. He just knows that Skittles taste good, so I want Skittles. Well, I've got a little bit more knowledge in them and know that that's not good. You know, cottage cheese and broccoli and chicken, eggs, whatever. That's what's good for you. And so I, I don't know what just happened. Uh, so, uh, so we, we zoom out and I think that's even on a more infinite scale, our knowledge versus God's knowledge is that he knows what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. And he wants us to continue to bring those desires to him. He wants us to continue to ask. And so I, as, I'm going, as I was going through those lists of comparisons, that's what, not what I wanted you to hear, is that there should be a guilt or combination for wanting those things, um, for wanting a better marriage, or for wanting kids, or for wanting to be married, period. That's not what I'm saying. It's the comparison. It's the, like I, like I said earlier, I've got the note written down. It's addressing the comparison, the part that causes us to root against each other while sizing up God's fairness. That's the part that I don't want us to do. Um, so we can, desire things without being, we can desire things without being frustrated at the Lord's generosity in others' lives. And we can also cry out to the Lord without keeping score. And so um, that's, that's all I have tonight, guys. I, I think comparison and, and fairness is something that we deal with a lot. And so um, I, I hope that the Lord spoke to you tonight. I hope that the Lord, I hope I was able to communicate with what I felt the Lord put on my heart tonight. Um, so, Ben, y'all can go ahead and come on up. Um, what we're going to do is... Uh, we're going to close out like we, we, we've been doing for, the, for a while now, is that we're, we're going to open up the, the, the steps here for, if anybody wants to come down and pray. Um, Taylor is going to be uh, giving communion. Um, so it, I think it's mainly going to be through the first song, but if you trickle up, no big deal. Um, but take this time um, to enjoy the Lord, to confess comparison if you need to confess, to bring desires to the Lord, and to bring frustrations to the Lord. We've got an extremely good God. He's our friend. We're no longer servants. Go to the Lord. Be honest with Him um, because He loves you. So let me go ahead and close this out in prayer, and I'll turn it over to the band. Father, uh, we thank you so much that you are not a fair God, but you're a just God, Lord. Uh, 
that you love us and that you're always working for the good of us, Lord. Um, I pray that as we, as we go through life, Lord, I pray that we would, be, uh, that we would recognize whenever comparison and envy and trying to live a life through the, uh, through the lens of fairness is creeping in, Lord, um, because that's destructive, Lord. That kind of subconsciously causes us to root against each other, Lord, and that is not living in the kingdom. So, Father, I, I pray that, uh, that in this time that we are just able to be comforted by you and be real with you, Lord, to express frustrations, to express desires, and then speak truth. Go back to who you are, what we know to be true about you, Lord. So, Father, again, I love you. I thank you for this time, and I pray that we're responsible with how we close this out. Amen.